Hey, good morning. Well, as he said, we are starting a new series in the book of Colossians. Um, Colossians is part of what we call the New Testament, so the Bible's divided uh, into Old Testament, the, the, the part of the Bible before Jesus came, and then there's a section of the Bible that's just about the life of Jesus, and then there's uh, letters in the New Testament that are about how you live in light of the, the life of Jesus. Colossians is one of those letters, uh, but today is also uh, Baby Dedication Sunday, uh, which is exciting uh, for 17 of y'all, and uh, means I've got 15, 20 minutes max, so let's get to work. Finish this sentence for me. This is going to be lost on some of y'all. I do apologize if it is. Can't hit everybody. Finish this sentence for me. The best defense is a good... There we go. Um, so this Colossian church uh, was a young church uh, when some pretty twisted teaching started to show up. Uh, and in the letter of Colossians, we get a glimpse into what that teaching was, but we don't have a ton of specifics. And the reason we don't have a ton of specifics is that Paul, the author of Colossians, uh, he didn't get into a lot of defensive debates about uh, what they should not believe. He just went on offense with what they should believe. And because he did, we have some of the richest words about Christ and his church ever written, most of which we'll get to next week. Today, he starts the letter, and he starts it intensely personal. So let's get to it. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So a, a pretty standard introduction uh, to a letter right there. Verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when he prayed when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because, because, here's the cause, here's the why, here's the, 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 the root that those flow out of, because of the hope laid up in heaven for you. Paul is saying, hey, listen, I, we, we hear about the hope. We hear about that hope, and that hope is the hope that fuels your faith in Christ and love for one another. Um, but uh, if we could maybe pause and be honest about something, or I could be honest about something. Um, I've been a Christian for uh, 16 years. Yeah, 16. 38 minus 22, 16. Uh, 16 years. Uh, and in those 16 years, I, I heard a lot, especially in the early days, a lot about hope and uh, it was always defined for me, and the definition was always true. It just always felt theoretical. Like, it always just felt like, I don't, like, I hear you, but I don't know what you're saying, right? And so, um, if we could, I would like to make an effort at, at, at us just sort of settling down and maybe um, de-intellectualizing hope so that it might become more real to us. And so, I want to do it this way. Um, here's what I'm wondering. Uh, I'm wondering why the word hope. Like there, there is, if you think about what he was saying there, because of the blank laid up in heaven for you, Paul could have said anything. Like he could have said the reward up in heaven. He, he could have said the, um, the eternal life laid up in heaven. Like he, he didn't have to say, there's no theological or linguistic reason why he is bound to the word hope, so why the word hope? 
And I think this might be an answer why. I think Paul knows, and if you read the letters of Paul, I think that we can certainly see this all over the place, uh, that what you feel about tomorrow determines how you live today. Not simply what you understand about tomorrow, but what you feel about tomorrow determines how you live today. And this is Paul's magnum opus into the person of Christ. And he starts the letter with the hope, like the hope that you have laid up in heaven. This might be a touch of speculation, but let me, let me give you a reason why I think it might be. Next week, we're going to get to some of the most beautiful words about, about our Christ ever written. But if the thing that you want most, if the thing that evokes the most intensely positive, hopeful feelings in your life isn't what's laid up in heaven, um, isn't the, the hope that is to come one day, but it's a job, it's a marriage, it's a house, it's just a date, dadgummit, just one single date. Anybody, I'll say yes to anybody, one date. If that is the governing hope of your life, what we read next week will not matter. It's not going to matter. It's also why, uh, if we could say this gently, lovingly, politely, um, I, I also think it's the source of most of our discontentment. I think the source of most of our discontentment is a misplaced hope. Like the thing that we want most in our life, the thing that evokes the most, like, oh, if I could just have, like, yes, I want that. Um, isn't what's laid up in heaven. It's, it's what we can see on front of us. Usually it's what someone else has that we don't, and so we see it, we want it, and we give our lives chasing it, and it leaves us consistently discontent. And so it might be evidence, might be. No emails, might be. Might be evidence that what you want isn't Jesus himself, but some side benefit of Jesus. And if what you want is a side benefit of Jesus, these beautiful words about Jesus himself penned won't do what they're intended to do in you. Leads to one of two places, consistently and every time. Uh, either one, you try church, give it a shot, uh, but when you don't get that side benefit, uh, you check out. Or two, you're just consistently discontent in your faith, constantly wondering why you don't feel as at peace or as happy or why the anxiety just won't go away always and consistently discontent. And listen, that's not the only source of anxiety, but it's a predominant source of anxiety. Let's keep going. Verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, in the word of the, I'm going to start over. Um, I did graduate from college twice. Um, <laughs> Not twice. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> of this, you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. All right. Hey, hey, Colossians. 
at Colossians. Listen, you, you have this beautiful story. It's this beautiful story. It's all your own. Like, it's true Colossians. Like, someone tells someone who tells someone who tells someone who tells someone. That's how the gospel spreads. But listen, not for you guys. Like, for you guys, that, that's not, a, it's not an ambiguous story. It's, hey, listen, Epaphras told you. You told one another. And now he's back telling me about your love for one another. And it's this beautiful, beautiful story. But in the middle of it, he said that this gospel was coming indeed to the whole world, or has come indeed to the whole world. And we need to address this. Because um, on the surface, uh, on the surface, this sounds um, pretty implausible, right? Uh, if, you're a, if you're a thinker, uh, you, you, you may not be a thinker, and you still thought this. Uh, you, you went and went, man, he, didn't, he thought the world was flat back. What do you mean the whole world? Like, he didn't know. Yes, I know that. He, he knows he didn't know. Uh, that's why Paul, the author of this, went to places where the gospel wasn't yet. So what's he trying to say? Well, I, I think he's making a semi-hyperbolic statement because in this, in this time, this was 30 years after Christ had come, lived, died, resurrected, ascended. And in those 30 years, the gospel had spread to Asia Minor, Syria, Greece, Italy, likely Egypt, North Africa, and Persia. 30 years. This started, this gospel that was indeed spreading to the whole world, it started with a group of men smaller than my neighborhood parish. In 30 years, it had reached the place where Paul could write, it spread to the whole world, and they wouldn't just laugh him off. Why? Why? It is a historic question. If you're not a Christian in here, then you think, man, I just don't know if I can buy this. I, just, I hear some, some of the... I just don't know. I'm just not sure I can buy this. This is a historic reality that has to be dealt with. And you are, when you leave here today, no longer allowed to not deal with it. Why? Why? So these small little band of brothers, these men and women, as it spread from 12 to 24 to 100 to 300 to 1,000, like the, this was a small pretty irrelevant group of people that were being persecuted. And so you have to ask your question, yourself this question. Why would anyone, why would anyone look at the small irrelevant group of men and women, see the way they're being persecuted, some of them killed, and go, yeah, yeah, I want to, I'm in. Like, that's the life I want. I'm with you. What do we do? Why? Here's why. Christianity in its day, offered, offered an unprecedented future with an unprecedented hope. What's the, what's the future? Like, what's the reality? This eternal, loving relationship with God. And what's the hope? Eternal life. That which is laid up in heaven. It was unprecedented in its day. Like, there was nothing the, the teaching that showed up here in Colossae, in the Colossian church, this ran directly counter. Because listen, to them, to the, the, the Roman world of the day, listen, God was not someone who you loved, who loved you. God was someone that you appeased. And there was no assurance of anything, right? If I stop appeasing you, I lose all benefits. This was completely countercultural. Countercultural enough that it, turned the world upside down. 
And so he starts out with the power and necessity of hope, and now he gets to the experience of hope and why he wrote the letter. Verse 9, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Okay, when we think uh, will of God, what's the will of God? I want to know the will of God. I need to know the will of God for my life. What do we think? Generally, we think, um, well, like, who do I marry? What kind of job should I get? Like, should I go into this field or that field? Where should I live? What, what house should I buy? But here's the problem. Um, I've read the Bible a few times. Uh, it doesn't answer those questions. It doesn't answer. So knowledge of his will, what is he talking about here? Douglas Moo, brilliant theologian, said it this way. What Paul has in mind is not some particular or special direction for one's life, but a deep and abiding understanding of the revelation of Christ and all that he means for the universe and for the Colossians. And so what is what does this knowledge of his will, what does it mean for the Colossians? Verse 10. Verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You want to know the will of God for your life? Here it is. Here it is. That you would live a life worthy of the Lord. You see, um, we, we just finished the Life Together series where we just said, hey, let's, let's open up the Bible. Let's let the Bible dream about uh, about our life together, define our dreams about our life together. And we said, hey, listen, this, this is why proximity just matters to us. And this is the opportunity of longevity if we would just put down roots. And I want to say this to back up that series. I want to say we, we want that. Like we, we want us to just put down roots and, and, and maybe, just maybe, we, we might live our life together and it's, it might be beautiful and painful and all things that make up life. But let me tell you something. Uh, when I open the scriptures, here's what I do see. Um, I do see the Lord far less concerned with where you live than he is how you live. Far less concerned with where you live than how you live. What, what is this? What is he describing here? It's, it's holiness. It's holiness. It's, hey, hey, listen, because of the hope laid up in heaven for you, be a holy people. Sojourn. Our, our members, listen, I know talking about holiness isn't like the beautiful, um, it is beautiful, that's not true. Uh, it's, it's not the thing that tickles your ears. But it's not my job to tickle your ears. It's not Paul's job. If holiness doesn't matter to us, what are we doing today? Like when we say, hey, we're, we're dedicating these children into this family and, and they do what they're going to do, which is read vows, I'll explain in a minute, and then you read a vow back as the community of faith coming around them. If holiness doesn't matter to you, what are we doing? Which takes him to verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. It just keeps building, keeps building on this hope laid up in heaven for you. And generally speaking, endurance, patience, 
patience, joy, they don't go together. Right? If I'm enduring something, it's it's not good. Right? We've listen, I'm not trying to call anybody out. We've all been to dinner. And at that dinner, we have all been to dinner. Um, and we've all been at that dinner where it's like, my God, when is this gonna end? Like, I just need this thing to stop. I need to go home. I like this conversation, I'm done. We've all been there. I don't usually think of joy when I think of those dinners. And I, I'm the guy that on the other end, they're going, when is this going to end? Like, he hasn't stopped talking in an hour. When is this going like, to? So what would bring endurance, patience, joy together? The hope laid up in heaven. How is it possible? Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. Oh. Oh. This language to share in the inheritance. This is Old Testament language being applied to a New Testament people, saying that every promise for the people of God belongs to you. To you, sojourn. It belongs to you. Every promise to the people of God belongs to you. Every single one of them and he has qualified you for it qualified who's the actor there you or God it's God I'll answer that for you so how does he qualify you verse 13 he has delivered us he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins On the cross, when Jesus was hanging there, here's what was happening. He was being treated as you deserve so that you can be treated as he deserves. That's the great exchange. That's the transfer taking place here. And so here's the question. Is this something that you do or is this something that was done to you? It was done to you. You you don't redeem yourself. You don't, I don't, it doesn't matter if you grew up in the church. It doesn't matter like if you sang Hillsong when you were seven and, or like me, like 22 and confused about why they're popular. I like Hillsong. I'm not bagging on them. I just didn't know. You didn't redeem yourself. And so here's the, like, here's the thing. Like, I'm reading this. I'm reading, like, Thursday, I'm reading this. Friday, I'm reading this. And I'm wanting to know this question. Why would Paul write this? Like, they already knew this. Like, the Colossians, they already knew. This was not news to them. This was the heartbeat of the message that, that Epaphras showed up preaching to them. They already knew. Why would Paul write it down in the letter? Here's why. The, the, the teaching that showed up, um, it was saying, hey, listen, I, I'm with you. Like, I, I hear you. That's like, yeah, that's true. But if you want to keep it, here's what you've got to do. You've got to do X, you've got to do Y, and you've got to do Z. You, you get it free, but you've got you've to keep it. And Paul is saying, no. Now, listen, that, that right there, like that um, saved by grace, uh, keep my salvation by earning it, like that is, that is an appealing line of theology for us. We, we are by default a works-oriented people where we want to earn 
the praise of God. We want to earn the acceptance of God. And so to hear, hey, man, it might be by grace you are saved, but you've got to do works to keep it, man, that's appealing to us. And it was appealing to the Colossians as well. And Paul is saying, no, Jesus didn't come and die for you so that you could live your life trying to earn what he gave you. And if we could bring that down to us right here in this room, I think he might say to you, like if Jesus is having coffee with you, it wouldn't be at Starbucks. And he would say to you this, hey, it's free. Like it cost me everything. But it's free. Now go and live a life worthy of what I did. Like stop trying to live life worthy of earning my grace and go live in response to my grace. Like the inheritance, it's yours. Live as if it's yours. Don't live to try to earn the inheritance. Live in light of the inheritance. Listen, my, my kids, I have three kids, fourth on the way. Um, I, I love them. Currently, their inheritance is worth about a fajitas for two at Alma Latina. But what's there? It's theirs. Like, they didn't have to do anything to earn it, and they don't have to do a thing to keep it. They're my kids. They're my kids. Like, there'll never be a day where I don't get down on my knee and say to my son or to my daughters, hey, listen, Daddy loves you. You know why I love you? Because I do. And one day, one day, they're going to inherit a little inheritance from me, and that's going to be this display that, like, you don't, listen, you're, you're going to wrong me in the future. Like, there's nobody in here who didn't do something offensive to their parents. It's going to happen. There are none of your parents who didn't do something offensive to their parents. There's no one in here who's going to have a kid that will not do something offensive to them at some point. And it won't take their inheritance away. It's theirs. Why? Because they're my kids. This was two weeks ago. Like that you, like you and Christ have been united to him and all that belongs to him belongs to you. The Father says, you are in my son and all that belongs to my son belongs to you. Listen, stop. Like stop the rat race of trying to keep what has been given to you. Just live in light of the inheritance that's yours. And so here's what we're going to do. In a minute, I'm going to pray, and we're going to have the families come up, and um, they're going to be given some vows to, to read, and then they're going to respond, and, uh, and then you're, you're going to be given a vow to, to say. You're going to respond to that vow. And here's what we're saying when we do. We're saying that our hope for our kids, like what it is that, that we dream for our kids, like it's, not, like, like it's not the law career that I wish I was going to have. It's not, uh, you know, oil and gas engineering. It's not Texans. It's not, you know, some athletic career that I wasn't even close to having. It's that they would be filled with the knowledge of His will. They'd walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that they would share in the inheritance of the saints, that our kids would have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We're saying this is the driving hope of our life for our kids. And listen, real talk, 
Like, let's get this on the table. Some of our kids, they, they are going, by God's grace, going to grow up, and they're going to say, hey, listen, I, I don't remember a day I didn't believe. Like, I don't remember. Like, I remember we would do the Jesus story time at night, and I always remember thinking, hey, this is awesome because it's true. And then they're, gonna, and they're just like, going to say, man, I had the greatest family ever growing up. I was loved. We loved one another. We talked about the Lord a lot. And it's going to be beautiful, but, but that's probably not going to be the story for all of them. For some, it's going to be more a, a weaving heartache where they wrestle through the pains of life in a fallen and broken world, everything from uh, anxiety to addiction. And when you as a community say, we're in. So this vow is like, we're in. Like, you're the parents, but we're your family. We're in. We're in to see and help raise those kids to the day that they might delight in the Lord with us. This is our hope. What Paul wrote about, it's not just for us, it's for our children. And so what you feel about tomorrow, this hope laid up in heaven for you, determines how you live today. Which is true for us and true for our little ones. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we do thank you for uh, this, this reality, uh, this driving reality uh, that, that there is a hope laid up in heaven for us. I pray that this hope, this uh, hope that, that is laid up in heaven, I pray it would be the thing that we want most. May that break into our lesser wants. May it change our lesser wants. May we not want the things of this earth so deeply. And may that be true for our kids. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.